Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Purpose-built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack. Finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Simparis.com. Hi, Marco. Sean, we're going to redefine something very important that sometimes we don't associate, I think, with security or computer science or technology and lately we're starting to see that we have to and i'm referring to ethics i know i'm I'm not happy with mine i'm going to redefine them (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'll let you decide if that's good your 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 entire morality we're going to redefine all of that my whole moral compass needs a recalibration never Uh, too late that's that's another another question (laughs) um i don't believe our guests have that same problem. Uh, they, they brought to us a very clear picture that ethics need to be part of all that we do in cybersecurity from research to response. And uh, we're going to we're going to cover a lot of that, uh, looking at academia and the value to business for doing so. And uh, as we kick this off, I want to get everybody familiar with who our guests are. And I'm going to hand it to Kevin McNish first to reintroduce himself. We did an audio signals with him uh, not too long ago, looking at ethics of surveillance. And uh, Kevin's great to have you on the show again. A uh, few words to uh, refamiliarize uh, our audience with who you are. I made up a new word there. There you go. I, mean, I can do that. It was a good one. <laughs> thank you, Sean. Um, and thank you for having me for having me back on the show. Uh, so yeah, my name's Kevin McNish. I am a digital ethics consultant with Soprasteria. But until two months ago, I was an assistant professor in ethics and information technology at the University of Twente in the Netherlands, where for most of the last three years, I've been doing work in ethics of artificial intelligence and ethics of cybersecurity, which is where I've been working with Jeroen van der Ham, who's with us this, this afternoon, this morning, whatever time it is, where, wherever you guys are. Um, and uh, yeah, we've, we've published several papers and chapters together on the ethics of cybersecurity. Okay, let's hear from your friend. 
Yeah, so my name is Jeroen van der Ham. I'm a senior researcher at the National C uh, Cybersecurity Center in the Netherlands. Uh, and I'm also an associate professor at the University of Twente, where I do research on uh, incident response. Um, and uh, ethics has been uh, something I've been interested in in cybersecurity ever since I stumbled upon it uh, in my own research, um, found uh, ethical issues and uh, sought help. And then I became more and more interested, and uh, I've had some very interesting uh, cooperation with uh, Kevin over the last few years. Perfect. So I, I was starting with a joke at the beginning with, uh, you know, many times you think about cybersecurity and uh, it's, it's black or white, or, you know, you're a good uh, hacker or, or a cyber criminal. And that's a thin line that... <laughs> I'm not going to go there right now, but uh, we need to throw to, to draw that line. But it, it's something that many many situations we don't really associate it because it seems so easy to say this is the right thing to do, this is the, not the right thing to do. But if we learn something from ethics and philosophy and morality, is that it's very blurry, right? So I, I love that you the you two uh, start working on papers on defining this into the cybersecurity industry. And I'd like to start with the beginning. How did you see that there was a need for doing this? Kevin, let's start with you. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I've got a long background in working in security and ethics and my, my doctorate and a lot of my research was around surveillance, as we've discussed in the past. Um, and so bringing together surveillance and security and information technology that I was working on in Twenta, it seemed like an obvious move into cybersecurity. And I think what was interesting for me to begin with was, was not far off what you've just said, Marco, and that it wasn't that obvious what the ethical issues were. On one very simple level, you can say, well, yeah, security is always good, but it's not so always good that we are prepared to sacrifice every civil liberty we have for security, otherwise we'd be living in a police state. Or, by the same token, we don't want to say that civil liberties are the only important thing, that we never have any security and then we live in the purge. So neither of those are really going to work. We need to, as you say, deal with this fuzzy area in the middle. But when it came to cybersecurity, it was an area I wasn't so hands-on familiar with. And that was why it was fantastic when Jeroen and I got together, um, because he, here's somebody who knew exactly what he was talking about and had the interest in the ethics. Um, and so that's why we hit it off. And I think Jeroen, maybe if you want to explain a bit more about where you see the ethical issues, that would. Yeah, so um, how, I, how I got into it, uh, I, I alluded to it earlier. Um, I uh, Several years ago, there was a, a case in, in the Netherlands where the Pirate Bay website was blocked. And everybody knew that that website blockade was, was ineffective, uh, but nobody could prove it. And I thought, well, I can do research. I can write something. I scripted something together over the weekend um, and created a, a torrent monitor. Um, and I, I could prove that the, 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 uh, the blockade was ineffective. But then once I was doing it, I realized that I was contributing to the, an ongoing court case in the Netherlands uh, uh, of civil rights uh, organizations and uh, uh, internet service providers against the copyright industry trying to stop that blockade. Um, but while I was doing it, I was uh, doing this from academic research, 
um, I was recording IP addresses of personal users, uh, and that's and that's private information. You need permission to get that to to record that, and it, it wasn't possible. So I and it was even illegal because of the privacy laws in in the Netherlands. And um, I sought help from an ethics advisor, and and initially within the university, but it turned out that there wasn't an ethics committee for computer science. There was only a lawyer, and the lawyer said no. Unfortunately, my professor said, uh, uh, this is too important, and we should be doing this. Uh, and and so we continued, and I sought help from a, an ethics advisor, and then we started discussing this, and she thought it was very interesting. We wrote a paper together, and I started digging into more and more of the uh, of the ethics. And uh, uh, yeah, and eventually that led to a, a cooperation with Kevin, and I've been also pushing for more ethics committees in uh, in computer science. I'm surprised the lawyer said no. I'm like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what they never do, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, well, it was. Uh, yeah, I won't go there. But um, I guess where I will take this is just this idea that it isn't one side of the line or the other, and there's a lot of gray area. And, and this holds true for many things as we look at technology and and innovations. Something that we know will do really good for us, be really good for the business, be great for society, can be reused in a way that isn't. And and I know I mean, just look at uh, an ISAC or an ISA where the the whole idea is to have a sector of companies come together and share information with each other that can be used to help them fortify their own business in that sector. Um, it's only good if everybody comes together and shares meaningful information, but then that information is being shared and could be misused. And so, and we, we talk a lot about hackers versus cyber criminals and responsible disclosure and all these things on, on the, uh, the researcher side as well. How do we, and, and before we started recording, Erwin, you, you kind of alluded to this, that there is no formal education on what is research, what is information sharing, what's the proper response to an incident. Uh, and, yeah. and we're just kind of learning this stuff. We're winging it. We're learning it on the fly. And ethics is not part of the conversation. We, we may have yeah. stumbled into a law. By doing some work as you did, um, and found that that's a dangerous area, and we may choose to continue. But there's no formal education. So maybe let's touch on that, Erwin. Uh, yeah. You, uh, yeah. So I, I believe that that um, uh, so I'm an incident responder myself. I've been working at uh, the National Cybersecurity Center for uh, over six years now, and what I see is that many of my colleagues, when they're when they're new on the job. Um, it takes them some time to to actually get going, um, and most of them have a, a college degree, university degree, uh, but still, it takes a couple of months before they learn the actual practice of incident response. And this is what I see in in many organizations. It's a little bit better in the U.S. where they've really focused on that a couple uh, last couple of years, but uh, but still, overall. Um, instant response is not really a profession. It's more of a trade that you learn on the job. And um, and I feel that that needs to develop. And as you mentioned, uh, a theoretical framework is part of that. Um, uh, but also defining a code of ethics is, is part of, uh, of developing a profession. Um, 
And I think I've been uh, I've been working on uh, a code of ethics for incident responders and security teams. Um, it's published at ethicsfirst.org. But the um, a lot of reasoning that goes behind that, uh, that kind of developing that code of ethics is also the the many of the discussions that I've had with with Kevin and and like the digging into this from a philosophy standpoint and and really trying to figure out what the dilemmas are and how they uh, uh, play into each other um, uh, where we value things and that's and that's a really uh, important uh, contribution to to this whole discussion I think so okay, Kevin, let's bring the philosophy in mm. Yeah, thank you. I was gonna say, I think you know, I would follow up on that by saying that there is a, to me, there's a, an even deeper level or an earlier level of a lack of ethics engagement within the technology sphere, which certainly is happening at the university undergraduate level. And to be honest, probably needs to be addressed even earlier than that in high school and, and before where there's still a tendency in a lot of areas to separate out the sciences from the humanities and talk about one as being objective and the other one as being subjective and ethics by its nature doesn't fit into the objective category so if we're doing a hard science like computer science then we don't need to think about the ethics so much and then that's reinforced at an undergraduate and in many cases a postgraduate way when um, I, there, there was a survey came out a year ago in Europe, which showed that 40%, full 0% of um, undergraduate computer science courses in Europe do not have any ethics component to them at all. Uh, and so, and I've taught this now for about 10 years to computer scientists at both undergrad and postgrad level. And the number I meet at postgrad who say, yeah, I, I had an hour of ethics. We, we did research ethics and, you know, we found out all about writing consent forms and that was it. So no real sort of intelligent engagement with what it means to be ethical, with what it means to be a professional. As Jeroen was saying, what it means to have a code of conduct and how to follow that through. Or what is the difference between the ethical difference between a grey hat, a white hat and a black hat hacker? Um, and, and numerous questions, obviously, which we could raise about AI, but particularly pertinent for, for this talk is, is security in general. And this view that security is always justified because security is a good thing to do. And it's kind of, well, it, yes, it's a good thing, but so is privacy and so is transparency. And so are numerous other values. Security is one value amongst many. And so I think in order to have a mature um ethically aware cybersecurity sector we need to be grappling with these issues about these competing values what the trade-offs are between different values to sort of say okay well yeah which values which values lose out in this particular equation and who gets to decide and why so the thing that comes to mind to me it's it's easy to say okay these are the rule and this is how we prepare the professionals and this is how we develop technology and yeah we talk about surveillance and many other things last time and many times humanity and society are just like driven by innovation just for the heck of it there is no plan that's that's my view on that right so now we're focusing on redefining the professional, the cybersecurity professional, and we are not considering that it's such a fresh new profession, relatively new profession, even if 
some people have been doing it their own entire life, but in the scope of things, it's very, yeah. <laughs> it's very new. And, yeah. and just people have been like diving into it, like, hey, there, um, you're a computer science, go be a professional, uh, you're this, you're that. There is not really a formal pre preparation where you're crossing the line, but at the same time, more and more, now we know that we need lawyers, we need psychologists, and everything in between. So what did you find out when you were writing this paper? I mean, did, did you guys get some answers to this, to this black and white problem? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know where to begin. I mean, we, we found a lot of uh, 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 levels of gray, I think. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of nuance when you start looking at all of these issues and it's very hard to draw a line and uh, and, and in particular I, I would just say that this is a, a very much an area where it, where it becomes apparent that there's no uh, uh, technical solution there, there's no way to to tech your way out of an ethical issue and um, and that's one of the things that I, I really realized that uh, we we're very optimistic as a society. We're very optimistic about technology, as you mentioned. And there's there's a certain sense of uh, of techno solutionism that that we always try to find some kind of technical solution to a problem. And this really is a is an area where you see that that is just not possible. That this is all of these ethical issues that you run into. It it takes uh, careful deliber deliberation. Uh, uh, discussions with with people from different viewpoints and and really trying to understand what is going on and and how can we solve this? Yeah, and Kevin, your thoughts on this? Because the first thing that's coming to my mind here is the, the the mindset of a researcher, the mindset of somebody who's hacking, and it's it's really about going against the grain, right? Finding that box and making it not a box any longer <laughs> ripping it apart seeing what's inside making it a nice a nice uh, hexagon or whatever the, whatever shape they want to make it so how how do we manage a mind and a way of thinking that operates that way and and get them to think in terms of code of conduct yeah I, that's a great question sean i, I think that one of the things that struck me when Jeroen and I were getting into this together was the, particularly the, the case with Encore that we wrote about, which was a piece of research carried out uh, whereby some Trojan malware was put onto people's computers around the world in order to ping out against known sites that, um, sites like Google and Facebook, so nothing, nothing particularly controversial there, but the Trojan was being put on personal computers behind national firewalls. So personal computers in Iran and in Egypt and in China, and then going and pinging out. And while, you know, there's no question about the intention of the researchers, the intention was good. They wanted to test these firewalls. This was, a, a in some ways, a good way, a technically good way of testing the firewalls. Um, and they never intended any harm to arise to people. And as far as we know, no harm did arise, but they certainly put people at risk of harm because as we know from history, uh, when you look at totalitarian regimes, if, they, if the security forces see you doing something you shouldn't be doing, they tend to, to ask questions quite far down the line after they've already started speaking to you. 
Um, and so there could have been all sorts of issues there. Uh, uh, so one of these, one of the things I think, which I'm trying to say that comes out with research is that researchers, we, we tend to have a very narrow focus on this is what I'm after, this is what I want to do. As you say, I want to dig into this box. My intentions are good, therefore it's all right if I dig into it. And we often miss what the consequences are going to be in so doing. The Encore case was one example of that. Last week we had the University of Minnesota um, incident, which again, Jeroen or, or yeah, before we go into the University of Minnesota, I wanted to add to the, the Encore case. What they wanted to do is they wanted to measure censorship uh, globally, internationally. And they found a very nifty way to do that by, by using some kind of uh, script that would be embedded in web pages and that would then uh, uh, create a, a request to a certain other website and they could measure the side effects. So it wasn't like a real Trojan. It was just a, a script and, the, and they could measure side effects. So it was a nice hack, basically, um, uh, in a way to measure this kind of censorship. But they, I think in their enthusiasm, they forgot to consider um, uh, what was actually at stake here. Um, and eventually they, they were forced to, by the program committee, um, uh, who said, well, there's there's some ethical issues here and we need to get an IRB involved. So an institutional review board of a university, but then sort of a problem appears because the, the IRBs in, in uh, the U S uh, they have a very limited uh, and legal mission. And that is they, they look at human subject research. So they looked at this research and they said, well, you're running a script on a web page on a, on a computer, where are the humans? There's no humans. So this is not human subject research. Go ahead, please do it. They didn't consider the fact that with this, you could um, uh, forge a request from a Chinese computer to any kind of website in, in the US that you would want to. Um, and uh, and there's no, so there's no way to, to take the consequences of that action into account in, in academic research currently. At least not in the U.S. So, I love what you said before. Like you try to take your way out. We we can't yeah. take our way out of everything. I think I'm going to use this quote a lot. So forgive <laughs> me for that. Uh, but so my question is: Can you ethic your your way out of tech, or does it come first the egg or the or the chicken? <laughs> So how do we put yeah, these two things together? It, it's such a two different separate mindset, but yeah. it's kind of like medicine. Yeah, sure, you're doing good, but you can't like chop bodies, you know, uh, no. kill live people just because you're doing it in the interest of humanity. You're still got to apply some ethics. So yeah, it's complex. Then, yeah, it, it is. But we've, we've been doing ethics longer than we, we've been doing technology. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Oh, yes. I'm not so sure. Right? <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> now we learned anything. One of the earliest terms of technos. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and the only thing we know that ethics is hard, and there's there, there's no solution. But then, yeah. Sorry, you you finished. Yeah, there, there's value in having the discussion, and I don't know whether we can we can solve every issue with ethics, but at least it helps. That, that's my, my that's at least my experience yeah definitely that that's where I was going to go as well is that I think that um, 
there, there might not be a clear and easy solution. But if you don't recognize there's a problem, then there's no way that you can fix it. And quite often, from what we've both been saying, researchers, be they in, in universities or in the private sector or wherever, often don't see the problem. And that's not just researchers in computer science, that's researchers anywhere. They're, they're so fixed on the goal of where they're going that they're just unaware of some of the potential consequences. Uh, and so if that, and, until you become aware of that problem, that there may be unintended consequences, you don't know that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Once you become aware of the problem, then you can start to say, okay, what is the value that I'm bringing by solving this, this piece of research? What are the costs that are involved in meeting this research? And you know, to put it very bluntly, does the value of the research outweigh the costs? And then on a, a, a more nuanced approach is to say, well, okay, the, the research is valuable, but is there any way in which we can mitigate against these costs? Can we do this in a more ethical way in order that it harms fewer people or it doesn't bring any harm at all? Have we just leapt to one tech solution when there's another tech solution a little bit to one side that would give us the same answer, but without those same pain points? And, and so as Jeroen was saying, it's only when you bring together a group of people experienced in these sort of issues and talking through these issues, you can have these discussions. And that's when you can start to see, okay, there might be a way through this. I might be able to do this without invading anybody's privacy or without endangering anybody's medical records or, or whatever the case may be. I'm wondering how we get to a point where this is less of a problem than perhaps it is now. Um, I mean, we're constantly, I'll say, preaching to the to the business that they need to focus on risk management from a cybersecurity perspective all the time. And it's hard to connect the dots of what are all the scenarios that introduce risk, right, that I then need to be prepared for. And so I don't know that we have many good answers on that other than just think through it, work with your peers, uh, work with information sharing organizations to highlight things that are happening. So taking this to research and, and ethics in that world, how do we help researchers both in academia and outside uh, become aware of the potential risks, the potential harm that could come from the, the good work they're trying to accomplish? Is that in the university? Is it a, a ethics committee outside of the university? So both, both academia and public community can benefit or where do you see this heading? I think I think you mentioned a lot of good points and I think um, maybe all of them. I mean we, we need to do more ethics in education. We need more involvement of ethics committees. We need more uh, uh, professional discussions, professional awareness about ethics. Um, um, and for that like the code of ethics is, is, is a tool. Um, and it helps you, it, it facilitates the discussion you can have with your colleagues and, and co-workers. Um, but it needs awareness in the, in the business as well. Um, and maybe even ethics committees for businesses. But it, it, at least what I've, uh, what I've experienced uh, is that there's real value in involving uh, an, an ethicist 
or or someone experience in ethics in in um, discussing your dilemmas and very often as uh, kevin mentioned there's a there's an alternative solution that doesn't harm that that that's gives at least less harm and and while achieving the same goal is it just yeah. that it's not fun that part <laughs> you just want to run off and do the i mean i think it's fun because i i think it's really fun so is it is it just a matter yeah. of making that part as fun as the actual research it's a big yeah it is really i mean it it's sort of it's sort of a challenge as, as well and, and how can you do this in in such a way that you uh that you balance all of the different values and the, and the different stakes involved uh, uh how do you identify all of them and then how do you deal with them in in a way that uh that uh, presents less harm yeah i think in the short term there's a straightforward sort of there's an element of compliance there's an element of responsibility but I think beyond that, there is the, the challenge of doing it, but doing it well, by, by well, I mean ethically as well as technically well. Uh, but also increasingly, I think society is becoming much more ethically driven, I should say. I don't think we've ever not been ethically conscious, but ethically driven as regards where we place our investments, where we place our custom, which companies we remain at. Um, as employees, and, and all of these are being shown increasingly, particularly over the last five years, to be uh, um, impacted more and more by how ethical companies are. And I think leaping into trying to resolve, or, or, or leaping into trying to you know, research and, and develop solutions that are not ethically thought through are in the long term going to impact cyber companies um, and universities as well. So as you say, Sean, I think, yeah, and just to back everything up that, that Jeroen was saying as well, the questions about education, questions about ethics review boards, um, which take in more than just human subject research, uh, and issues about, um, you know, what can the professional bodies do? Um, what can the IEEE or the IET or others do in terms of providing expert support uh, in terms of an ethics committee, that if you say, okay, this is my this is my problem, um, I'm not sure where to go with this, but I'm a member of, uh, of wh whichever professional body I'm a member of, then can I turn to that professional body and get help with the ethical issues there? And I think that's another potential scenario, or as Jeroen was saying, with the first responders network and you know, speak to people there. Um, all professional bodies come with a code of conduct. And so they all have a commitment to being ethical. And so what support can they offer people in the field, particularly people outside of universities who have these ethics review boards that can help them when they, when they function well? You know, as we wrap up this, and of course, we're not having answers, but I think we're going somewhere. And I think that somewhere is the fact that it's like we made the joke about the lawyer that says no all the time, but you, you need to understand why he, he or her said no. You can't just say, all right, you made the decision. I stick with it because you're the expert. I made the decision because I'm the expert in my field. So if you keep tech and philosophy and psychology and sociology separated one from the other, then you find yourself competing with each other and not understanding why you're doing the thing. So I think that the fusion of the two that, as you suggest, I, I see from from the uh, from the paper you produced to co converge the education of 
some element of ethics into computer science is the key. Otherwise, how do you embed it from the beginning, from the beginning of your commitment and your research? You can just leave it to how morally um, adapt you are <laughs> in your head, right? Like the certain code of conduct, certain code of rules. How are, and this is to, to end, or are not, university program in computer science um, prepare? Are they already going there? Are, are we finding a, a resistance? Um, how can we make this convergence happen in the disciplines? So I, I think this is, um, this is slowly starting. Um, at least in the EU, you see that the, the ethics committees are, are beginning to, to become aware that computer science is also, uh, also comes up with ethics. Um, and that they need to review it and that they need to treat it. And did you need people who are both skilled in computer science as well as in ethics uh, to be able to identify the issues because it's it's a real it's really difficult and many of the I mean we mentioned the encore program uh, before if you don't understand what it does then you don't understand what kind of harm it can do um, but then if you don't know what harm is and how you identify harm what how do you identify stakeholders then how do you know identify the ethical issues in the in the technology um, but this is something that's it's ongoing in in the EU. There's more interest in in uh, creating ethics committees. Uh, the the uh, survey that Kevin mentioned before is part of a project that's trying to improve the situation in, in the EU for ethics committees. Um, and unfortunately, in the in the US, we still see the same issues. And we saw the the, uh, the issue of the University of Minnesota with the uh, the uh, uh, what do they call it? the hypocrite commits, um, and that's. Uh, it sort of identified the same issue with, with the institutional review boards not reviewing it because there were no human subjects involved. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a problem. And then speaking as an ethicist, I think if we look at other disciplines, if you look particularly at medicine and just think yeah, it would be bizarre for there to be hospitals without ethics bodies. For doctors to be able to turn to and just say, I really don't know what to do in this case, help me. And there are people there to help them. Um, it happens within law as well. For all of the cynical jokes we might have about lawyers at times, they also have ethics support and ethical bodies. Um, it happens within all sorts of professional areas, engineering um, and other professional bodies. It, it seems, so, so when you take that perspective, it seems bizarre that it doesn't happen at the moment within computer science and within cybersecurity. Wherever there is a chance of harm occurring to people because of your professional actions, you need to be able to pause, reflect on what you're doing, talk about what you're doing, and see if there's a way that you can prevent or limit that harm occurring as a result of what you're trying to do. We will get there. Um, but the education response and the educational response that, that I think you and I both take is, you know, it, it's one of educators and it is a very long term response. I think in 30 years time, people will look back and think how bizarre it was that we were even having this conversation. Just as now we look back to the 1980s and think it's really bizarre that people were debating whether it was correct that Ford recalled the Pinto. Um, 
because the Ford Pinto was such an obviously wrong car to be on the roads that, of course, Ford should have recalled it, but they chose not to. And this was being debated 40 years ago. As I say, in 40 years' time, the idea about debating ethics and cybersecurity will, I, I'm pretty sure, I certainly hope, be very much a thing of the past and we will all be dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> but what, yeah, what you bring up, sorry, Sean, uh, is the fact that it seems to me that when there is the bleeding into one other realm, right, that's when the, the public opinion start moving. So uh, until technology was more, well, I'm talking about computer technology, not other kind of technology, of course, but as soon as it started being applied in artificial intelligence and robotics and you start to get into the everyday society and the business, that's when the public opinion starts to say, wait a minute, there is bias. There is a lot of things happening here. There is privacy issues and so forth. So in a way, uh, the, the example of the Ford was like, well, it was the first time that happened, and now it's normal. If you don't recall a car, you got in big trouble, right? So maybe we're just too early, or we, we're at the moment that things are starting to converge. Yeah, I, I was going to joke in that you, you still find Pintos <laughs> on, the, on the road. So, Probably worth a lot of money so now. It's a classic model. <laughs> exactly. I think I think exactly. Rufias drives one in uh, Stranger Things. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I think I want to close with this thought, and and I think you, your examples of the doctors and the lawyers uh, and having ethic ethics reviews board, and and I guess the point I want to make is they they take an oath, right? Their, their work directly impacts humans and businesses, and they take an oath to do everything in their power to operate ethically and morally to support them within the, the norms of society. And I don't see, I know for my CISSP, I take an oath when I, when I get that for the work that I'm doing in, in cyber, but not as a general profession. And I don't know if we need it or not, but I think there's an interesting parallel there uh, where the more technology impacts our lives and the more cybersecurity is part of that. Um, I, I think, I don't know how formal it needs to be, but I think there's a, there's a role for uh, an oath to be taken from those who, uh, who are part of it. That, that's my parting thought. Marco, anything else to add before we wrap? I'm confused. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm My not. I, off as I, as I, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, I always represent society and not, well, I, I appreciate technology a lot, but for me, humanity and society come always first. So I think it's more a matter of bringing technology into ethics than bringing ethics into technology. If yeah. I can sum it up in something, that's going to be it. Yeah. And if well, people have votes. Yeah, uh, we can certainly know. engage on, on social. Uh, we'll have a number of resources, the, the paper that uh, Kevin Uroin wrote and uh, the, the work you did, Uroin, on uh, incident response, code of ethics, and yeah. uh, other things that, uh, that the two guests can share with us, all designed to get folks to think, right? So we encourage you to read these, read these elements, uh, think, and engage, and certainly stay tuned for more conversations as we 
redefine my moral compass personally and redefine security on ICSP magazine. Both very complex problems. <laughs> 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 well, thank you so much. Another interesting conversation. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Purpose built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack, finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Semperis.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.